Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am Jackson Wood. I am going solo today. Um, So I hope that everybody takes as much from this podcast episode as I did. Um, A couple of weeks ago, um, in November of 2023, um, an investment icon and what I would consider a great person passed away. Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, died in November uh, at age 99, which can you believe it? He he almost lived to 100. Um, and he's the definition of uh, true master of your craft. The guy was going on podcasts, um, speaking at conferences, investing up until the very last days, which I think is inspiring. Um, I hope I can end up like that. I, I love the work that we do. And he is definitely one of the people that um, portfolio managers, investors look up to. He certainly taught me a lot when I first got into the into the industry. I've read all the books about him. He's somebody that I look up to. And a lot of people know him from Berkshire Hathaway. So after many decades alongside Warren Buffett at the helm of the massive holding corporation, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Charlie passed away. So in today's episode, I thought I would just share some lessons, some investment lessons that we learned from Charlie. And one story that is inspiring that actually kind of brought tears to my eyes after after he passed away, Ryan shared this incredible story with, with me um, from early on in Charlie's life that was just so touching, um, made me just respect the guy more. Is, is After Ryan sent it to me and I read through it, I text back to Ryan and I said, just when I thought I couldn't like the guy anymore, you have to go and share that, that story with me. Um, but for those of you that aren't super familiar with Berkshire Hathaway, um, Munger and Buffett grew Berkshire from a pretty small textiles firm uh, into a massive and diversified conglomerate. Um, It's a huge company, one of the biggest in the world. Current market capitalization of 780 billion uh, at the time of Munger's passing, which was just incredibly, uh, it's just incredibly amazing what they've been able to do over there at Berkshire. Um, one of my favorite stats about Berkshire Hathaway, and this comes from Meb Faber. I had to double check him on this because every once in a while you run across a stat that is so unbelievable uh, that you have to fact check the author. Um, but the, the stat is that Berkshire Hathaway stock could, de- could decline by 99% from where it is now and still be outperforming the S&P 500 since the inception of the firm Berkshire. Um, and I fact checked that it is true and accurate, which is just outrageously cool. If you think about that from a portfolio manager perspective, um, it's incredibly powerful what they've done. Um, they have generated a tremendous amount of shareholder value uh, to Berkshire shareholders and also to the companies that Berkshire owns. They've been able to employ, uh, employ people that have been able to provide for their families. And I just don't think you find a guy that's more humble and down to earth than, than Charlie. Um, so Munger was known for both his impressive uh, business smarts and his business knowledge and for his generosity in sharing investing advice um, with a large group of followers and fans. You know, the guy was very vocal, very public, um, always just kind and gracious to everybody. So I was going to start this off by sharing these investment lessons, but I think I'm going to skip to the end and I'm going to tell this story. 
uh, about Munger, just to put it into perspective, the kind of guy that we're talking about. And you'll see why everybody in the investment world looks up to him. So in 1953, when Munger was 29 years old, um, he went through what I would consider one of the worst things you can possibly go through. So he was divorced. Um, he lost his house. Back then in 1953, there was a huge social stigma about divorce. So it was a lot of people that, you know, you didn't talk about it. If it happened to you, it was just kind of a bad thing. It's, it's not like it is now more common. Um, but what got even worse is that his eight-year-old son, Teddy, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, his son had leukemia, and it was in incurable. So it was a uh, terminal disease for Teddy. Um, Munger didn't have health insurance, so he was forced to pay for all the medical care out of pocket. Um, Charlie would go and visit Teddy every single day in the hospital for hours and hours on end as a 29-year-old dad. Um, and then he would go walk the streets, and he would when he told the story, he said he would just sob. He would just bawl the entire time, as I'm sure anybody, anybody would. But I can't think of anything. I mean, it seems like when one thing was going wrong for Charlie, it just triggered everything else to go wrong. And unfortunately, Teddy died at the age of nine. Um, he was broke at the time because he was paying for single-handedly all the medical care. Um, he was broke, he was divorced, and he had just lost his child. Right? And 99 people... 99% of people at that point would have probably turned to alcohol or drugs, even suicide. And I think picture yourself in that situation, you can understand why, right? It's just heartbreaking. Uh, but Munger, he never did, right? Um, fast forward to 52 years old, um, a failed surgery that Charlie had left him blind in one eye with the potential of going fully blind one day. So not only did that happen to him, but he lost his eye. I can't think of anything worse personally from a health perspective. Um, you know, he spent his day, he spent his days reading. He just devoured books and, and, uh, literature and, and, um, you know, business reports and financials. Um, he was an obsessive learner, right? So he read every single book that he could get his hands on. He has this humongous library. I've seen pictures of it. So when he was confronted with the possibility of going blind and no longer being able to read, which is truthfully what led him to have such business success, his quote was in direct quote, it's time for me to learn Braille, right? So in my mind, the only thing that might be more impressive than his intellect was his actions. And so I wanted to set the stage with that story so that you could understand and know the type of person we're talking about when I share these investment lessons. All right, so the first lesson, from Charlie, um, in quote, the big money is not in the buying and the selling, but in the waiting. So Munger believed that investment opportunities with true potential are both few and far between, as well as worth waiting for. The whole secret of investment is to find places where it is safe and wise to not diversify, Munger said. In terms of portfolio management, this means that Munger was not active in daily buys and daily sales. He wasn't a trader. He wasn't in and out. Instead, he worked hard to identify positions or investments in businesses that he felt were as close as possible to a sure thing, and he held them, often for years at a time. So we've talked about this in our portfolio, as we talk about our portfolio, instead of viewing stocks and investments as tickers that are trading with candlesticks and indicators and trend lines and momentum and all that, we look at them as businesses and we want to allocate our sacred hard-earned money into these businesses. And Munger took that same view where 
he did all of the research, he did all the fundamental analysis to find these investment opportunities that were as close as possible to a sure thing. And he held them often for, for years at a time. And he would look at the reports every quarter and he would follow the positions and follow the places that he allocated his money very carefully. If things went wrong, he would get out of them. But as long as things kept going right, he would hold them for years at a time. Um, and the Berkshire portfolio is notorious for this. They have long held positions that they've held for decades and decades in the portfolio and they continue to hold them. Hold them. When they do see something that goes wrong, they get out of it. I just saw actually this week um, a large position that Berkshire had. They actually started selling off and it was based off of a weaker than expected earnings report and them seeing something fundamentally that they don't love and that they wanted to get out of and reallocate their capital into a sacred position that they felt was a better use of their time and of, of their uh, dollars. So I thought that that was really powerful. The big money is not in the buying and in the selling, but in the waiting. All right. So the second quote here, buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. And I just want to throw my hands in the air, kind of shout hallelujah, right? When I hear this, buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. And it's really important in the context, uh, modern context, especially with what we've seen in the, in the markets the last few years. Um, the prices of these businesses can oftentimes be outrageous, right? You can see businesses trading at a thousand PE, right? So a core component of Munger's approach to investing was a belief in the strength of value investing as a philosophy. That means is that know what you buy, understand the price that you're paying for these positions and these investments. He is known to have said, forget what you know about buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. Instead, buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. So I, I, I couldn't agree with this more. Picture me sitting here in my office with my hands up, right? Um, Munger shunned stocks that other investors might pick up simply because they seemed to be a good deal. Instead, he opted for investments in companies he felt were rock solid as businesses first and foremost. That was his number one guiding principle. What is the business? He would get to know these businesses intimately. Um, there's videos and pictures of, of, of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger at uh, they, everybody knows, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that they have a stake in Coca-Cola. It's not something that we're advising or that we own right now, but you would see Warren and, and Charlie drinking cherry Cokes all the time, right? Um, you would see them eating, um, I forget what they call them, but from Dairy Queen, the, the ice cream cones, the, the shakes, the spun up shakes, right? They, they would really get to know these businesses and perhaps they picked some fun businesses that offer delicious treats. Um, but you know, they, they owned other businesses They had boring insurance businesses, cash flow machines, and they knew them inside and out and they buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. And I think that that is especially important today. And we've talked about it. We've seen, you know, when you watch the news, you'll talk, you'll hear them talk about the magnificent seven and you hear them talk about the dislocation and what you're seeing in share price compared to what they're doing in earnings. And it gets even worse when you look at the dividend or you look at the free cash flow or you look at. Uh, you know, growing revenue or sometimes shrinking revenue in an elevated stock price. It's really important to understand this concept and take it to heart, right? I mean, I think we're really good as investors at looking at homes or at cars and understanding value to price. A lot of the time we get, we get confused and disoriented when we look at stock value, but the same principle applies, right? Um, you want to buy something where you're getting a tremendous amount of value. I'm a big sucker for this when I go to Costco, right? I see things and I think, well, that's a really good deal, right? That's a really good value. Um, that same principle should apply when you're building an investment portfolio. So buying these companies and then planning to hold them for a long period of time uh, or buying these companies and planning 
to hold them for a long period would give time for the market to reflect their intrinsic worth over many years. Oftentimes, you can find businesses that, that are ignored. Um, Ryan has talked about this. We like to be the, the going the other way or against the crowd. We like these lonely trades, these lonely investment opportunities. And Munger did too, right? And so th there's a lesson in this that is really, really powerful. And it's applicable not only to stock investing and building your investment portfolio, but also to everything in life, right? Um, okay, third one. Great opportunities are rare. So Munger made investment choices under the belief that life is not just bathing you with unlimited opportunities, right? So following that perspective, he aimed to weed out as many average or bad investing ideas as possible. Only those ideas surviving strict scrutiny would be considered for implementation. So Ryan has a quote. I think this is like episode four of our podcast. I'll go back and look at it, see which one it is. Um, but Ryan's quote was, it's sometimes not what you own but what you don't own. And we have dissected, you know, take the S&P 500 for, an exam for example, we've dissected the companies. And sometimes it's, it's not about um, the, the uh, action of picking the right stock and only picking winners. Sometimes it's as simple as avoiding the losers, right? And, and caring what you don't own and purposely not owning businesses that are failing or, or you know, struggling. Um, this is really, really counterintuitive um, a related aspect of Munger's approach to investing is to make significant moves in those rare moments in which a tremendous opportunity does present itself. So Ryan has talked about, and we've talked about on this, we don't care as much about the size of the moat as the direction of the moat. And so when you can see these significant moves, and it happen incrementally over periods of time, small, small moves at, uh, you know, over time, compounded obviously into these bigger moves, um, you have to understand when you see those moves, that is presenting an opportunity and you're often very early. So as you build these positions and you understand what, you're, what you own and the trajectory that the business is on, you can be early to the investment. And then as the market realizes what you've already known, because you're studying and you're rolling your sleeves up and looking at these businesses, then you get to enjoy the fact that the rest of the crowd is joining you in this investment and you get to see the price move and the market fully realize the value of what you're, what you're owning. So Munger would quote his grandfather, who said, when you get a Lollapalooza, for God's sake, don't hang by, don't hang by like a timid little rabbit, right? When you get into this opportunity, take advantage of it, move on it, right? And so that's, that's how we kind of view portfolio management, um, you know, looking at these opportunities, going in and looking at charts and these ugly, sweaty, boring businesses that nobody, you know, nobody's talking about. Um, one that we've highlighted recently is a junkyard, looking at the junkyard business compared to the, you know, the shiny object syndrome. Um, you know, no one's looking in the junkyards, but secretly, quietly in the background, the builders are building, they're growing the businesses, and all of a sudden you're sitting on something that's a tremendous uh, win for you, right? So this extreme selectiveness, coupled with a tendency to buy big when he did go in on a new investment, led Munger to maintain a portfolio extremely lacking in diversity by most modern standards. When you look at our portfolio and you look at Munger's portfolio, we're, you know, you're talking 50, 60 holdings. Um, you look at a lot of people's portfolios. I review investment portfolios all day, every single day. There's new partners coming into the firm and bringing over old accounts. It's not uncommon to see a portfolio that holds 7,000 stocks, 8,000, 9,000 stocks in one position, right? So we believe in, in kind of filtering that out a little bit, being active in our management, not so much as trying to hone in and pick only winners, right? It's a tough game 
to play, but also just knowing what we don't want to own, why we don't want to own them, and allocating capital into businesses that we think are going to perform and that show quarter over quarter that incremental but monumental over time improvement in what they're doing and the market ultimately catching up to that. So even holding more than a small handful of names seem to be too much fun for Munger, right? If truly great investment opportunities are vanishingly rare, the thinking goes over diversification of a portfolio suggests that the investor is buying into some names that represent only decent opportunities or potentially negative opportunities, right? So contrast Munger and his thinking and this active management approach with what Jack Bogle said, who says, don't search for the needle in the haystack, own the haystack. Now, while it's hard to argue against the performance of something like the S&P 500, and yeah, it, as we've said multiple times, I've said this multiple times, just owning the index is better than 99% of investment approaches out there. Why not have a, a concentrate, more concentrated portfolio with a specific goal in mind, right? Why not, why not concentrate a little bit just with a portion of the portfolio on something like you know, an actively managed portfolio with 50 to 60 names? We love that idea. Not bad-mouthing Bogle, but you go back to the stat I shared at the very beginning of the podcast of uh, Berkshire declined 99% from where it's at right now and still outperformed the index. Really, the proof is in the pudding, right? You can see how this benefits. You have to be incredibly disciplined. You have to build these disciplines around your portfolio management, but it can pay off big time if you get it right. You've got the right discipline, right? So the fourth one here that I thought was really important, and I was actually kind of surprised um, to see this one be, be one of the top, but I love this and I, I wish that there were more of this in, in, in life. Good businesses are ethical business. Right? So one of Munger's favorite sayings was that good businesses are ethical business. And conversely, that a business model that relies on trickery is doomed to fail. I think it was in episode 30, we talk about some of the financial engineering that, S that companies in the S&P can do, kind of game their way into a market-weighted index um, and, and kind of some of the games that they can play to climb their way up and grow their market cap. Munger and Buffett had none of that, right? They developed a reputation for closely analyzing the operations of businesses that they were considering making investments in, looking for businesses with both excellent growth potential, as well as those they felt had models that were fair, even-handed, and ethical. I love this approach. Um, just this idea of being proud of where your money is, not owning businesses that you feel are unethical. Um, it's funny, every day when I drive to the office, I, I see a contrast, right? Right on one corner I'm thinking of specifically. There's a business there, uh, it's a small little sandwich shop, and it is the most incredible, it's not a sandwich shop, it's a, I'm doing them harm saying that. It's a bagel shop. They make like the most delicious bagel sandwiches. Hardworking guy. It's been in the family, I think for 25 plus years. Incredible place. I go there every chance I get, right? And then next to them, the funny part is, um, is a payday loan store. And so I, as I was reading through some of this from Munger, I, I was just kind of laughing at the predatory nature of the payday loan. They probably roll around in money all day and make a ton of money while being predators, right? By while harming people like vultures. Then you've got this business where if, if anything goes wrong, the entire community will rush to support this guy. If anybody ever wants to make a trip out to Idaho, we'll go get these bagels. They make the salt bagel sandwich on it. It's absolutely delicious. Um, but uh, just, just that contrast, right? You can probably look at a good portfolio or you can think of businesses um, that you may not want to invest in because you disagree with them ethically. I think Munger and, and, uh, and uh, Buffett were good at this idea. They only invested in companies they were proud of, proud to invest in. 
Um, Munger was fond of saying that investors should look to businesses that even a fool could run, right? With the idea being that if you hold a stock for long enough, eventually the leadership at the company will indeed make some foolish decisions. So I love this approach. Um, I love Charlie Munger. I, I would highly, highly recommend anybody out there go read his, uh, any book about him, listen to his, his talks he gave, listen to him, pull up a Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting and, and listen to what he said. There's a tremendous amount of wisdom from him. We all kind of sit and stand in his shadow because he was such a good guy. Um, I just admired a lot about Charlie Munger and their track record. It goes even beyond the performance numbers and how impressive um, what they've done at Berkshire is. It goes into, into more of the reason and the intent behind what he did. And I just love the lessons that we take from him. So, you know, Buffett's getting up there in age. I'm not saying or hoping that we're making another one of these episodes for Buffett anytime soon, but these guys have lived incredible lives and we're fortunate to have been able to learn from them and understand what they do. And the fact that they were 99, I don't know how old Buffett is, like 94, 96, something like that. Um, the fact that they are still going and they are on the cutting edge or Buffett's still going, Berkshire's still leading, cutting edge of investment knowledge and investment strategy is just kind of a testament that what these guys were doing back in the in the 60s and the 70s is still working and will continue to work. It's proven it's going to stand, withstand the test of time. It's not this fad that's going in and out. The way that they look at businesses is, is, is tried and true, right? And you'll see investment fads come and go. You'll see these different products launched. But the fact remains that if you understand the business, what you're investing in, and you know what you're doing, it's a good ethical business, you're patient, you're paying a fair price, um, you know, you're, you're filtering out the bad opportunities, you're going to make money, right? And that's, that's the purpose of all of this. As we tie it into financial planning, the purpose of all this investing and the strategizing and optimizing and all the portfolio management tactics and, and rebalancing and weighting and whatever it is, it goes into this. <clears throat> the main purpose of this is to help you get to your freedom day, right? And so our, our job as portfolio managers is to find the strategy that's going to create the most income, create the most wealth for you and your family to enjoy you got peace of mind, go to sleep each night, put your head on the pillow and feel confident in what you're doing, knowing that that money that you have spent your entire life saving and allocating to your sacred portfolio is going to provide for you and your family and your goals and your dreams and your bucket list. So I, I think that that's, you know, without getting you know, emotional, bringing in that emotional side of investing, it is so important to understand what you're doing with this or, or outsource um, you know, these big decisions to someone that aligns with you and aligns with your vision. And I think that Munger and, and Buffett have taught us incredibly well and given us incredible examples for this. So I appreciate everybody. Hope my solo episode, I know Ryan's not here, so it's not going to be as good, but um, I felt like the content in this was was good and it's, it's really shaped the way that I think about investing. I know it will resonate with with you listening to this. So, so let us know if you have any questions. If there's anything we can do for you, if you wanna get your own Freedom Day plan, portfolio set up, you can reach out to us. Our email is team at Freedom Day Solutions. We've got a whole team standing by, ready to help anybody that can come, wants to come our way or just wanna to, want to talk with us, just shoot us an email. We appreciate the support, all the subscribers. I'm shocked at how fast the show is growing. Um, so it's thanks to you guys and, and sharing that. So without, with that being said, and the incredible uh, wisdom we have 
been able to get from Charlie Munger. Thank you all for listening, and we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.